We've been doing a series talking about worship. Wasn't it nice to have Judah in the house today? That was so fun. Judah's, Judah and his wife were ORU grads and were part of a worship ministry during that time. And now he's leading in Denver. It's just super fun. It feels like just family. See the kids. Or some people were calling him Uncle Judah. Was that there? They were calling backstage Uncle Judah. So worship, we've been talking about what is worship based on, we've been for weeks talking about what worship is based on this one sentence that Paul says in Romans 12, 1, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And what we've looked at from that sentence, it's, it's really just been a hinge point for us to look throughout the whole scriptures to talk about just the who, what, when, where, why kind of stuff of what is worship. And we've been saying, why do we worship? It's because God himself is glorious. That if we see what God is like, the natural response is to worship him. If we get a taste for what God is like, it's, have you ever been to like the edge of like a cliff? You ever done that, like maybe at Lake Tankilla or something like that? You know that feeling that, that's what happens when we see God. With this, this awesomeness, this beauty, this power. And so worship's the reasonable, natural response to God's glory. And what is it? The first thing is glorifying God. It's like, well, it's not very helpful. What does that mean? What it means is that God shares his glory with creation and particularly humanity so that we can embody his glory. It's the very thing that John Free was talking about, that we start to look like God himself because he wants his image in us. That's what it means to be the image of God. So we embody the brilliance and wisdom and smartness and loveliness of God in ourselves, and then we declare God's glory. I loved how Judah was saying, let's ascribe glory to God. It's not a word we use a lot, but it's this idea of, I'm attributing to you that you're outrageously beautiful, God. I'm ascribing that, that, that glory, just this, this huge word of, of the brilliance of your character. You deserve that from me. But not only is worship glorifying God, it's becoming like Jesus. It's the recognition that something has happened to our ability to embody the glory of God because of sin. It gets distorted. And, and so it's like we're like a smudgy window. Or, or we talked about a painting that someone has kind of painted over a painting. And, and so, so as we become like Jesus, we're being restored. God is transforming us to be able to embody and declare God's glory. So that's the very thing that John was talking about, that God is changing us. So we start to look like the very thing we're talking about when we worship. How do we worship? Well, the main thing we see in Romans 12, 1, it's sacrifice. It's this offering of your entire existence to God's glory, all that you are, to, to, to show off how beautiful and kind and, and wonderful he is. Who do we worship? Well, we realized, Anna talked about this. We see this in Romans 1 and really throughout the whole of Scripture. We sang about it today. I'm not going to worship idols. It's that God and God alone is the one who, who, who is worthy of our worship, but also because we become like what we worship, when we worship something other than God, it deforms us. It, it's, it's not good for us. And so nothing else is worthy of our worship. And 
we talked last week about where do we worship. And what we talked about was we, we realized from the scriptures and from Romans 12, one, we worship God in our bodies. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's this space where on earth where God dwells. And so wherever our bodies are is where we can worship God. Wherever our bodies happen to be, we can worship. But then we also worship in Christ's body. That Christ's body, meaning Christ communally, is, 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 is the location of the temple of God on earth. And so we worship God together. We do both. You remember that? Okay. So today we're going to talk about when do we worship God. And we're going to continue to look at this phrase about offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. And we ask you, Jesus, that you, our brother, would, would bring us to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. You would teach us what you want us to know about sharing your glory, reflecting it back to you, and living in ways that just delight you, which in turn that makes our lives amazing. We appreciate that, Lord. Amen. So we said last week that God delights in space and time. I just feel like I'm entering a Star Trek episode when I say it. And it's the geeks among us are geeking out, which is I'm one of them. Um, but we see in Genesis 1 that God likes the world he made. He likes space. He, he made the first three days of creation, heavens, earth, sky, and land. And he said, that's so good. Look what I did. And then he makes time and says there was evening and there was morning. That You see this rhythm throughout the, the creation narrative. And then on day four and specifically, it says that God made lights for the day and the night to mark sacred times, days, and years. We're going to talk more about what in the world would that mean. And, but here's something what's interesting. And, and, of course, God said that it was good. But what's interesting is that God really likes Time. You've heard people say God lives outside of time. And yes, because God made time. And you want to mess with your head, think about it for a while. God lives outside of time. What does that mean? It's just going to mess with your head because you won't figure it out. That's what our physicists are trying to do. But here's, if we look at that God loves rhythms. He loves rhythms. We see that in creation there's rhythms. There's day and night. Day and night. That we see seven days in a week, and, 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 and that we kind of have this rotation of time. And then there's 28 days for the moon to circle the earth, so we have a new moon. And then there's 12 months, 12 times it happens per year, and there's seasons that we watch happen over a year. Have you notice this? It's just baked into creation are rhythms. And then we see them in our bodies, right? Our heart beats. Heart beats. Our, we breathe in, we breathe out. In sleeping and waking, and that, I just noticed, that, like, without this rhythm, we're dead, right? The, the heart beating, breathing, and sleeping awakens pretty much staying alive, which makes me want to go 70s, ha, 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 staying alive. That's the rhythm, right? I would bring Roger Nix up to dance that through, but we'll save that glory for later. And then I asked Ken Weed about space and time, Ken is the Dean of Science and Engineering at ORU. He knows a thing or two about space and time. And he said, well, Guile, they're the same thing. They're inseparable. I was like, whoa, man, I knew that. (laughs) I didn't know that. It's actually space-time. And so space and time are inseparable. In other words, that's what's so beautiful. I love science that it discovers how incredible God is. 
how brilliant, and we can worship God. Ken wrote a, a, a textbook. It's Worshiping God Through Creation. That's what it's called, right? It's the study of chemistry that is worshiping God through chemistry. Have you, I've seen this guy cry at a glass of water because the ice floats. I'm not joking at all. It's a miracle that God made ice float so the fish don't die during winter. It's amazing. It's the only solid that gets like less dense. I said it right, right? Okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm not getting less dense as the years go on. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> My wife's like, yeah, that's not even funny. It's not even funny. So if space and time are inseparable... When do we worship? Well, we worship whenever we're in our bodies. If space and time are inseparable, well, then we just worship whenever we're in our bodies, which is any time. Any time we find ourselves in our bodies, we worship. But here's the interesting thing. If we worship in Christ's body, it turns out that we're not together all the time, are we? Right? I only see most of you that once a week. And so we actually worship God at set times. We can worship God at any time, but we also, it's necessary. It's baked into creation. It's all through the scriptures, and I'll show you, and history, that we worship God at set times. Okay, so I, I wanted to, first, before I did that, talk about worshiping God anytime. I asked you guys for some testimonies, and I got some. And so I'm going to read some of these, which I did get permission to read. So um, of that came out of worshiping God anytime or anywhere. This is from Lauren Covey. She says, I was a middle school reading teacher in two different Title I public schools. I would bring my guitar or ukulele to school and play while the students did silent reading or worked in partners. I would worship God or sing prophetic songs over the kids. I'm neither a fabulous singer nor a skilled musician, but the kids loved this. There were no behavior issues when I would play. Kids would say they experienced peace when they heard me sing. There were times I would see kids doodling and writing out phrases they had heard me singing over them. Isn't that cool? This is from Erica Burnett, who's a nurse among us. She says, I work a very early shift at the hospital, and I often listen to worship music as I'm driving in for the day. On days that I am the charge nurse, I arrive 30 minutes before the other staff to assign pre-op beds for the day, so I keep the music going, sometimes pretty loud, since I'm the only person in my unit. Focusing on the Lord and reminding myself of His goodness and nearness definitely helps before the stresses of the day get started. One of my techs regularly asks me to turn up the volume when she hears it. And another says she always knows that I'm in charge that day when she hears music as she's walking down the hall. <laughs> How many of you guys know that the hospital is a good place to have a little presence of Jesus? Because, man, I, I had surgery about six weeks ago. You're never more vulnerable than those times, right? You're like, give me that thing. Okay, I'll swallow it because you say so. Heather Argbright writes this. 
I love how she started this. There was a time in my life. Three circles, baby. Come on, or t- fisting second testimony. She said, there was a time in my life when I felt as a mom unappreciated, dealing with some anger and resentment because I felt like I was the only one carrying the weight of home responsibilities. But then my pastor preached on Romans 12.1 to offer my body as a living sacrifice and my perspective changed. I still do all the things, but through the lens of doing it as worship to my Lord and King. Whoa. Feel the Lord. I feel Jesus' pleasure on that. Thank you for sharing so vulnerably, Heather. And here, this last one is from Elizabeth Freeland. Um, many of you guys know that Elizabeth has been on a journey of fighting and beating cancer over the years. And she says this In the midst of my treatment for cancer, the Lord met me in significant ways in a hospital bed. He asked me to serve in the mission field. Of hospital workers. It was a tough journey, but, but met so many wonderful people and had holy moments that still impact my life today. During worship and prayer, one Friday, the Lord spoke to me and said, you left my fragrance in hallways of the hospital. The following Sunday, so this happened the following Sunday after he spoke that, a friend of mine came up to me and told me that she went into her work, which is a cancer treatment center, on Friday, and she smelled roses. When she said something, her co-worker told her, oh, it's the fragrance of the Lord. I'm not making this stuff up. There was such an intentional gift from the Lord that through the suffering I endured, he was meeting me and others. Guys, we're dealing with dynamite here. When we say this very idea of that I can worship God, God any time, it's a for real thing. That we can embody the glory of God, reflect back who He is, and we can declare with our mouths and our actions the brilliance and beauty of God. And God is like, I love this. Let's hang. Let's be together. We're entering into the very communion between Father and Son by the Spirit. We're entering into that Trinitarian fellowship when we worship God. It's so powerful, so powerful. So, Lord, we honor you for these testimonies. We worship you that, that we get to enter into the love that sustains the universe by worshiping you in the Spirit. We thank you for that. I want to talk a little bit now about how do we, when do we worship God at set times? And I'm just going to take you on a tour through Scripture and church history. <laughs> Does that seem a little overly ambitious, right? It's going to be, for the historians in the room, there's probably none, but it's a little reductionistic. But for the rest of you, you will not know any different. So, I didn't mean that to be weird. Um, Anyway, you won't care is most likely the the deal. So, all right. I hear Tim Hart just say, just move on. Okay, here we go. So, at creation, look at this. God starts rhythms right away. It says, by the seventh day of creation, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on that seventh day, he rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because it, on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God wasn't tired, just in case you're wondering. He decided to rest on the seventh day and to create this rhythm that's literally baked into creation. And, and it, it 
we could infer from this, I don't know if it's true or not, but we could infer that maybe even there's a little bit of a daily rhythm going on in the garden because the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he's walking in the garden when in the cool of the day. Could it, could it have been that there was this time that they would meet on a, on a cyclical basis? We don't know, but we'll see later in, in uh, the history of the world here that it's a pretty common deal. And so we know the story that God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat it from it, you will certainly die. Well, we know the story. Adam and Eve ate from the tree. And this is the curse that, that came on to Adam because he did that. He said, by the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you'll return. And here's what we can notice here is that death disrupts the rhythm of creation and of worship. Did you know death isn't really supposed to be originally part of the rhythm? Does that make sense? It's like, who here has listened to records? I know they're on a resurgence, so I'm going to have old people and young people on this. But it's like hitting the needle, the thing. Death disrupts the rhythm of worship. And so, again, someone... uh, email me about this. I said, I never really thought about this. So I thought I'd re, re-articulate it, that God says the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil, must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and live forever. God is banishing humanity from this location with him in this rhythmic place at this time because he doesn't want us stuck like that. You follow He doesn't want us stuck in deformation. In fact, you could even maybe think about this in terms of eternal judgment. The tree of life is in the new heavens and new earth. Could it be that God doesn't want those who've rejected Jesus and cannot be healed to be like that in his kingdom because it's just not what we're meant to be? I don't know, just thinking out loud, brainstorming. Okay, here we go. So God wants to redeem us. He goes to Abraham, and through Abraham's family, gets all the way to this group of people that go to Egypt, all the sons of Jacob, sons of sons of Abraham. And he's going to rescue them from Egypt. And he sends Moses to do it. We talked about this last week, and and he said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'll be with you, and this will be the sign that it is I who have sent you. When, time, you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will, wor- will worship God on this mountain. So we saw last week that God said, you're going to worship me in a location. And then God gives them instruction, gives Moses instructions for the tabernacle to say, this is what it looks like, the space where you're going to meet with me and worship me. Remember that? If you, haven't, if you don't remember that, it was from last week. We talked about it. But not only did God give Moses instructions about where, but also when. Right there in Exodus, you can see, and throughout the whole narrative that goes all the way through Deuteronomy, we see that God gave Moses and his people set times to worship together. Follow me? 
To get everyone together requires a set time. So what we see happen in the Old Testament is that there was a daily rhythm. There were sacrifices at the tabernacle every day, morning and evening. Worship happening morning and evening, daily. There were prayers happening all day long. You look at these different scriptures, you can see the tradition of it. Everywhere from three a day, uh, Psalm 119 talks about seven times a day do I pray. And then there's a weekly, weekly rhythm. We see Sabbath. Sabbath, some scholars would say, was the most important rhythm for Israel. The absolutely crucial one is this weekly, every seven days, stopping what we're doing to contemplate God, delight in God, and rest, to worship Him. And then they had a regular practice of fasting. The way we can see it is all the way into Jesus' time. You see, the, the Pharisees were like saying, man, I, I, I fast twice a week like I'm supposed to. Which, you know, I, I can feel the fear in the room right now. Fasting twice a week. Okay. And then there was this yearly thing. Now, the, that 1 through 12, and it's a little... I'm not going to try to figure out the calendars here because there's a sacred calendar and then also a civil calendar. But it's roughly 12 months in their yearly calendar, 12 and a half to be honest. He said, I want you to celebrate a Passover. I want you to at the same time every year celebrate the fact that I'm rescuing from you from Egypt. And just year to year, you're going to mark that year by worshiping me all together at this set time. Then he says, I want you to take 50 days after that and celebrate, originally to celebrate the, the ingathering of the harvest of food. And then eventually it became, we're going to celebrate that God gave the law to us on Mount Sinai on this day. And then Feast of Trumpets. You know what that was? Happy New Year. Rosh Hashanah, let's have a party. By the way, these are all parties. God's saying, have parties and worship me on these days. Day of Atonement, not so much of a party. It was more of a, you know, reflection on our sin and God save us, cleanse us from our sin. Single day, about the same time, around the seventh month-ish of the uh, sacred year. And then the Feast of Booths, Tabernacles of Remembering. We were, we were going through the desert and had temporary uh, dwellings. This is a super fun one. Uh, Kelly Donovan has taught me this. It's another time to have a party. Eat well and remember God's delivered us. It's so fun. And then about a thousand years after Moses, Feast of Purim and Esther came in. And then Festival of Lights, Hanukkah was more to do with um, uh, the Maccabees. But this wasn't something Jesus gave. But I figured for those who care, there you go. All right. And then there's lifetime rhythms in Israel. That every seven years they take the year off. What would that be like? <laughs> I mean, some of us are like, that'd be awesome. And the others of us who have to work are like, what's going to go on, man, during that seven years? And then my wife's like, I know what you're going to make me do. You're going to rest, and I'm going to be doing all the work for that seven years. Yeah. Uh, that didn't land. <laughs> Those other angry wives out there. Uh, yeah, what's, but it took incredible faith. And they actually did this. And then they'd have a year of jubilee every 50 years where everybody's property goes back, no debts. We don't have any real evidence that they ever did it. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a high ask maybe, I guess. 
But, there, but we saw all these rhythms throughout the Old Testament. So this is the context that Jesus himself came into in terms of understanding when do we worship God. So here's what's interesting. One of the things Paul says about Jesus, Paul who knows and has celebrated his whole life all of these festivals, all of these feasts, all of these rhythms, he says, okay, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. That's interesting, isn't it? Because we saw already that where we worship God, Jesus messed all that up. It went from a location called the, the temple to Jesus, to Jesus and us, so that wherever we are and when we're assembled, we worship. So Jesus has a similar effect on when we worship him. But here's what Paul's not saying. He, what he's talking about here is the gospel. He's saying the way into the kingdom isn't by observing these things. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone. But we can see with the early church in the New Testament, they said, let's continue to worship God at specific times because we see that there are rhythms in creation itself. This is a good idea. We can see that there is daily prayer. If you look at all these texts over and over again, you can see Peter, Paul, John, we talked about this when we introduced our daily prayer rhythm, is that there were set times throughout the day Jesus and his guys were going to the temple together to pray. It was just a normal part of life that they would pray at set times so it would make the whole day holy. There was a weekly. They didn't do Sabbath anymore. They moved from Sabbath to Sunday. You know why? Because Jesus was raised on the first day of the week. Look at it, every gospel, it says, on the first day of the week. And so the central thing that organizes Christian time is the resurrection of Jesus. Everything is around the, the day the new world was born. The day new creation started. Isn't that powerful? The new creation, the new world, a new time, a new rhythm, a new downbeat for the musicians. Isn't Jesus... And so, so you can see throughout these texts that it's pretty clear that by the time of Paul in Acts 20, they kept on talking, but they would meet on the first day of the week, gather money on the first day of the week. Paul saw Jesus, or not Paul, John saw Jesus in Revelation 1.10 on the first day of the week. And you see regular fasting on a weekly basis. Man, it's quiet in here. <laughs> yeah, okay, we'll keep on going. And then we see something happen yearly in the New Testament. We see that there's this feast called Pasha. Has anyone in this room heard of that? One, two, three, four, five. I, I just laugh about this because you're at the church where Roger Nix, who was the lead pastor before me, we literally on, on, a, on a Sunday were standing next to him. He's like, hey, dude, I think it might be Palm Sunday, is it? Literally this happened. He's like, oh, man, I think it is. <laughs> So I'm flipping through my Bible quick and trying to find the passage because I figure, well, during our transition moment, I probably should say something about it. We're not exactly a high liturgical church. But originally, this was the time where Passover was celebrated. And so on one day, what the church would do is celebrate both the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so the, the earliest thing we can see of it is Paul. Look at this. It is, it's the festival of unleavened bread. It is Passover starts it. 
Paul says this, get rid of the old yeast so you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, who is our Passover lamb, Passover, feast unleavened bread, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, but not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So they took over this Passover thing to say, let's celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's the Passover slash Easter thing. And then 50 days after that was this time when we remember, uh, the, you know, the, the giving of the law and the spirit was, excuse me, the giving of the law when God himself was on the mountain. And then Paul says this, he said, he compares the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone. Where was that? On Mount Sinai. When the law came, came with glory so that the Israelites couldn't look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory. Will not the ministry of the spirit the Spirit came down on Pentecost. Isn't this crazy that God Himself is saying, I like my rhythms? And He gives the Spirit on Pentecost. I mean, maybe He was saying to Son and Spirit, He goes, Whoa, dude, is tomorrow Pentecost? Yeah, we should send the Spirit on this day. That would work out. They'd be able to remember this. <laughs> Isn't that cool? So we see this yearly rhythm happening in the New Testament church. Now, we look at the first four centuries. Almost everything we still have today happened in the first four centuries. We see that there was daily prayer, depending on what tradition and location, because the church started to spread. There was some that said two times a day, like morning and evening. That was kind of synagogue. Three times a day in some places, some seven or eight. Just depends on where you're, who you're reading. There was a weekly thing. Sunday was officially the day of rest by 321 A.D. That's when Constantine made Christianity officially okay in Rome. And he said, you know, why don't we make that, that day a day of rest? So for, you know, do the math, uh, for a long time, 2,000 years, Sunday's been the day. And fasting twice a week, we see this all over the place. We see in early writings something called the Didache. He said, except we're not going to fast like the heathens who are on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We're going to fast on Wednesdays and Fridays like Christians. <laughs> For real, it says that in the document in the 70 AD. Um, and then yearly, we still have Pasha and Pentecost. And then it starts to get split up. The reason it got split up, this is fascinating. Near the 4th century, there were a lot of Christians in Jerusalem and they said, well, we like to take our time and go to the actual places Jesus was at in worshiping there. So they'd worship at the entrance to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Then Monday, Thursday was most of the events before Good Friday. Good Friday, they'd go to the place of the cross. And then Holy Saturday, they, they would worship. And then they would have Easter Sunday. Which, why? Because Sunday is Resurrection Day. It's the day Jesus is resurrected. And so in the first four centuries, that started to happen. Then Pentecost got broken apart to the ascension of Jesus because it used to be about the ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Spirit. They put those apart. And then there's another season called Epiphany that was added about the 300s. Anybody know what Epiphany is? Aha, I hear Christmas. It was that Chris Hogue. Okay. Does anybody know how big Christmas is to the hoags? Okay. These guys are like the spirit of Christmas and everything about Christmas. And unfortunately, before 336 A.D., you guys would have been up a, up a creek. There was no such thing called Christmas. Until about 336 A.D., 
when Epiphany, the whole idea of Epiphany is the manifestation of God to the earth through Jesus. It's this whole idea that through Jesus' birth, through Jesus, that the, and, and here's the events that we saw. Jesus' birth did get fixed by December 25th in the early 400s. Circum, the circumcision of Jesus, which was eight days after it. Then Epiphany, which, which would have been, um, man, I'm blanking it. Ah, the Magi. And then here is the presentation of Jesus with Simeon and Anna in the temple. And then about 480 came Advent, which is this idea of the four weeks prior to Christmas, let's prepare. We think we got that idea because that's when new people who are coming to the faith would fast and prepare themselves on and off for four weeks leading into Christmas. Could it be more opposite than our current thing? <laughs> Fasting for the Christmas season. That's what they did. So that's about the first 400 years of Christian worship together. So, 500 AD to the present. Are there daily rhythms of worship together? Well, in some traditions there are. Some are corporate, some are individual. There are some traditions still on the face of our planet that would assemble every day to worship Jesus. A lot of them now were more individual. Are you guys familiar with the Book of Common Prayer? Book of Common Prayer is a pretty amazing thing that's been around for a couple hundred, 300, 400 years that is the same prayers being prayed at set times throughout the day by millions of people around the world. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So it's corporate and individual at the same time. That's been happening for a long time. We see the weekly. Sunday has been really clearly established, really, since the New Testament, pretty much. In some traditions, fasting. You see Eastern Orthodox and others, they do literally have regular fasts. I have a friend who's Eastern Orthodox, and he fasts a lot more than I do. I'll say it that way. And then we see pretty much the same rhythms that were established in the 4th century up until now throughout the church. Now, there's some places that said we don't need this. And I invited Roger Nix to read something. Come on, Roger. I, I read this from the, this was an awesome entry that was from the Church of Scotland in 1560, shortly after the Reformation, where they said we're sick of all this tradition and stuff. And I read this quote, and I said, it has to be read in a Scottish accent. <laughs> so let's go, baby. Give it to us. For this to work, though, you have to imagine I'm wearing a kilt, which means you have to see my leg. Right then. All feasts of apostles, martyrs, virgins, of Christmas, circumcision, epiphany, purification, and other fond feasts of Our Lady, which things, because in God's scriptures they neither have commandment nor assurance, we judge utterly to be abolished from this realm, Affirming further that the obstinate maintainers and teachers of such abominations ought not to escape the punishment of the civil magistrate. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> that was awesome. This was long before emotionally healthy relationships was available. 
I just read that. I said, that is so awesome. And most of us in this room are probably have inherited most of the Protestant kind of tradition where a lot of this didn't survive. And so the, the, funny, the funny backlash of that is we tend to live lives that are pretty arrhythmic. Like every season's the same and just work your head off every season, you know. Um, but, you know, whatever. So here's a, here's a, here's a whole uh, summary of this. Daily in the Old Testament, sacrifices and prayers, weekly, Sabbath, fasting, yearly, all these wonderful feasts, uh, lifetime, Sabbath year and Jubilee. In the New Testament, we see prayer. We see weekly Sabbath becomes basically Sunday fasting, Easter and Pentecost. Then the first four centuries of the church, we see prayer every day. We see Sunday and fasting as a weekly rhythm. We see a yearly rhythm of Epiphany, Easter and Pentecost. And 501 to the present, we see prayer in some traditions, Sunday and fasting in some traditions, and Epiphany, Easter and Pentecost. And we really do celebrate, well, we, we're, we can do two of those. But anyway, but here's the point of all this. For, for those of you like, why did you go through all this information? Here's the payoff. is, is where, When do we worship? We worship in our bodies anytime, but... We worship in Christ's body. Now, we remember last week we talked about Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Do not stop assembling together as some have done. Why? There's consequences. The consequences are you'll be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's just straight up there. Hebrews 3, 8. If you stop being with God's people on a regular basis, you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What I'm trying to give to you is a really clear idea that this has been happening for 2,000 years. This isn't a pastor saying, oh, I just need a, I need a crowd. It's saying it's woven into the very fabric of God in his creation and the way he does his family. That we meet at set times and the rhythms seem to be daily, weekly, and yearly. This, this is a really serious deal. So, the question is, when do we worship God now? This is kind of like maybe a little self-assessment. And the thing is, it's a corporate assessment. Because it's not just about our individual. Usually, we say, I, want, I, I didn't get anything out of that sermon, whatever that means. It often means, how do I apply this in my individual life? And did you know that oftentimes God is less interested in that than your corporate life? I, I was saying this today, I, uh, that... You know, some of us, and I've said this, I've said this. I love Jesus, I just have trouble with his people. You ever heard that? Church would be so great if it weren't for the people. And we kind of chuckle. But here's the thing, the church is Christ's body. So it'd be like saying to a loved one, you've got a nice face, but I just don't like the body part. Jesus gave away everything for his body. There's nothing else he could give up for his body. He loves his body. He calls the body his bride. Why? Because I would say because we have a good idea when we're longing for our bride, but maybe it's the other way around. He's even thought of marriage so he could know a little bit of how much I long for you. So, We've been trying to do this daily prayer rhythm. How's it been going for you guys? Yeah? So, you know, 
Lord's Prayer in the morning, Oikos map, meaning people far from God at noon, and then just ended the day with gratitude. Really simple. It, and it's following some, some patterns that we've seen over history. That's our, our best shot right now as a church because we just know that if we try to do it three times a day at one particular location, it might be a little tricky just because of the nature of our culture. And that's okay. So I encourage you, if, if you're not on that rhythm, join us. It gives us a chance. There's nothing better. You're like, my day is so busy. That's the point. That's the point. Because none of us are as important as we think we are. None of our decisions are as important. as You'd be surprised how tempted I am every day that I am so important doing the work of God, I can't spend time with God. I can't worship Him because I'm so important. So it's this wonderful thing to have going with each other. We've got the yearly thing going on. Basically, we do some of Epiphany and, and we do some uh, of the Easter thing. And again, Paul's really clear. He says, we're not, it's, this isn't like a, you're in or out of the kingdom based on you hand, how you handle these rhythms. But there's something about us that's really helpful to learn, right? It, C.S. Lewis calls it chronological snobbery. It's the belief that we're the smartest people who have ever lived because we're the most recent. Like Plato, Aristotle, idiots. They didn't have cell phones. They never tweeted or X'd once, whatever you call it now, right? And it's a total fallacy. It's totally not true. So I see this. So said, read, uh, read old things. I asked Eugene Peterson, who, who would you recommend I read? And he says, read the dead guys, man. If it lasted for 500 years, it might be worth looking at. And weekly, now here's something I want to say. Uh, the stats are kind of all over the map right now, but... but Pre-COVID, it was already, that, that it depends on who you talk to, but it looks like somewhere the average church attender was between like one and two a month on weekly attendance. Then post-COVID, it's all over the place. It's, it's hard to find clean stats on it, but, but it, it's, it's noticed that it's been precipitously falling. Now, here's the deal. <laughs> I don't need you to be here. I'm having fun with my friends already. But you need you to be here. And you could say, well, it doesn't have to be a church building. Did it house church? Okay. Then on a weekly basis, worship Jesus with other people. You you, you have to do it, guys. I'm imploring you. I'm warning you. I'm encouraging you. I'm trying to do all the things that you will not make it if on a weekly basis you're not following the rhythms of worshiping in Christ's body. Doesn't have to be here. Doesn't have to be here. We're all going to be okay if it's not here. But it has to be somewhere. And it doesn't mean just getting chips and salsa. It means connecting with God. Looking at Jesus Christ, the one who's resurrected from the dead. And defines what reality is, what new creation is. Otherwise, we get stuck in the patterns of the world. We think like the world thinks, and we're depressed, anxious, and angry, and yelling at people like everyone else. I've got to be reminded. I've got to be with the body again. I've got to be around my friends who, who have these testimonies. This was just, those testimonies were just from our room, four people out of the hundreds here. What God is doing, and I get a surf on that when I'm doubting, when I'm depressed, 
This is, uh, I'm going to quote Switchfoot again. I was at the Switchfoot concert. This is the church of the dropouts, the failures, the losers and fools. Those are the only people allowed here. Jesus didn't seem to spend a lot of time with people who didn't think they need him. But I want to come to people and just get across the finish line and say, I can't make it. Let's worship together. I need to hear Judah Dawkins or Brian Augustine tell me again, come on, you can make it. You can find Jesus. I'm doing it. I've had a week like yours too. Let's do this together. I asked Jesus, what is the one thing you would like to say to people? I'm not kidding. This is what came into my heart. I felt like, Jesus, what's the one thing you want to say? He said, please come back to church. Please come back to church. They could say, well, we're already here. Yeah, but will I see you next week? And I'm, I, we're not keeping attendance. Please don't hear any other motive. We don't even take offerings in this when we meet anymore. You, we need each other. We need each other. Why do you feel dread on your way to church? Because there's spiritual warfare against you. Say, I don't want you to be whole and healthy. The, the, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. It's Jesus in his body that gives us life and life to the full. So, in summary, where and when, we're going to put them both together, where and when in space-time do we worship God in our bodies, everywhere at any time, and in Christ's body, in rhythms together that look like daily, weekly, and yearly. Let's stand together. I want to pray over us. And as I do, you you don't necessarily have to listen to me. I I, I want us to let Jesus just talk to us. Let Jesus just talk to us about what it means to, to know him, to follow him, and particularly to worship him in his body. And so, so Jesus, you, you said in John 16, that you would give us the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit would reveal to us what belongs to Jesus. And it turns out that those things that belong to Jesus are belong to the Father. So we know that our, our faith is in you. The Holy Spirit lives in us right now. And you'll teach us what you mean by all this, Jesus. You'll apply it to us. And then you'll give us the power to live out things we could not do on our own. So if you would like, just just in a general way, you know, we'll, we'll say yes to the Lord together, the Holy Spirit, to take you into the thing Jesus is asking of you. Can you just say after me, I will? Okay. So good. So, Lord, you see, you see your beautiful body that you gave away your life for, how in love you are with this community. You're not looking at us, our failures and faults. You, you see them to the, the point you just want to heal us. And then you want to have festivals, feasts with us. You want to tell us what you like about us. 
that we can make it. That hope is sensible and reasonable because we can see it in this moment of gathering together. Give us the strength, O oh Lord, to continue that day after day, week after week, and year after year, we would worship you anywhere we find ourselves. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's pray for our ACAS maps. This is our midday thing. And so if you're new to believers, this is praying for those who are far from God. So bring those faces to your minds. And the power of a written prayer is that we can say it together. That's why it's written. Make sense? So let's pray this together. Lord, I pray for the people in my life who are far from you. Deliver them from the evil one. Bring them into your family and help them to grow as your disciples. Amen. Have a great week. Five o'clock at La Fortune Park. We'll see you there.